Hey everybody, it's T with Abduction Enigma Podcast. So this week I've got on Jan Yonders. I first saw Jan on the documentary by John Yost that just came out recently, Alien Abduction Answers. And I just had to reach out to him because he's got such a fascinating story. I think you guys will really enjoy this whole talk. Jan is quite fascinating. All right, let's get it. All right, Jan. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit of your backstory? Okay. Um, I was born in Birmingham, Alabama in 1977. Um, I was the official New Year's baby of Birmingham, Alabama. Um, uh, my mom is from the Philippines. Uh, she has experienced her stories of her own. She's a bit quiet. She hasn't even seen the film. <laughs> she says she's going to watch it, but she hasn't. Um, my dad is from Germany. He, um, I don't believe he has experienced her stories, although he's now had experiences. Um, uh, I uh, live in Chicago, Illinois, um, after grad school. So I did, um, I have a master of architecture and I, I do general design like um, uh, sculptural design, architectural design, uh, interior design, landscape design. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think, um, the, my first experience that I remember um, as a child uh, with the phenomena would be on a flight to the Philippines when I was in second grade. So I was seven years old. And um, so there was that. And at the time I didn't connect it with another strange experience, which was the experience with what I call the popcorn man. Um, and that was around the same time. And um, at the time, you know, I didn't know how to, how to I didn't connect the two. And I, I thought it maybe was a ghost. It was very strange. Um, and I, I was glad because all of that that interest, you know, seeing the UFO changed me. Um, and I, I was so interested in, I checked out all the books on UFOs at my elementary school library. And, and my, a close friend at the time, he and I were interested in it. And, and we were always checking out the books uh, back and forth. But the books had a limited appeal to me because when I would read the stories, you know, I would look for the pictures first, of course. And and when I, what I did read, I didn't really read all the books. I wasn't, <laughs> because what I read wasn't, wasn't what I experienced exactly. The only, the only common thread was instant acceleration. Um, other people had like these lights and stuff like that. And, and that wasn't what I had seen. Um, and then my dad had brought, I guess I checked out the Condon report. I hadn't really read it. It was, looked boring at, the, at that age, but my dad, pointed out that they concluded that there was nothing to the topic. And that um, was very frustrating for me um, because I, well, I just knew they were wrong. And um, anyway, finally, when I, trend, when I went from elementary school to high school, I kind of put that chapter behind. You know, you're meeting an expanded group of people, new people, and I didn't want to be the strange kid that had seen a UFO that most people hadn't. Um, and so I just kind of forgot about it. And it wasn't until um, I was in Chicago 
in August of 2014, when I stumbled across um, on Netflix, I'd seen them, but for some reason, well, th there was this one particular documentary on UFOs and that, I don't know what the title is, but the, the cover picture is the White House and there's like an army general in front of it and half of his face is human and half is like some very bizarre um, non-human face. And it looked so like Hollywood, it looked stupid. And I just had no interest in that, that. it didn't appeal to me. Um, and, but I watched something and I don't remember which one, but it, it dealt with contact. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So I started looking and I realized there were some real, there was like a top 10 UFO stories. And there were some different ones. And one of my favorite ones is I know what I saw 2007 at the time that was that was a really good one and it, it lit a fire in me again and um and this wasn't in the movie but uh the uh you know the movie only covered so much our, our movie you know uh, alien abduction answers and um the uh in that that morning after watching like maybe two or three of these films and staying up quite late um there was a knocking on my uh, window at like 5.45 in the morning. It, and I, or maybe it was four, it was, I think it was still dark. And uh, there was a knocking on the window and, and it was, uh, you know, it was loud. And I, I live on the top floor corner unit of a building in Chicago. So there shouldn't be a knocking on my window. Now there could be window cleaners and things like that. I had the shades closed and I could have raised them but I was honestly, I was scared at that point. I, I didn't understand it. I went back to sleep. The knocking came back, woke me up again. And I was just freaked out. And um, uh, my, my boyfriend was there, he was asleep. And um, I waited until it, he woke up and I asked him if he had heard it. He didn't, he had not. And um, I actually went up to the window to just try to kind of to knock on the window to let him know what it would sound like to see if it sounded familiar. And I, I like jumped back because when I knocked on the window, you don't realize it, but you have a knock. Like when you go up to someone's door and you knock, you will have a knock pattern. And I knocked and the knock was identical to the knock that I heard. So, you know, I was like, I, I thought like, oh, let me just, uh, let me just, let me just repeat the knock, a knock. No, it was the knock. I mean, everything. It was the knock. And um, which I think is really quite fascinating. Um, and so anyway, that started me down the rabbit hole. I was back full on interested in contact. That, that is a very long story that progressed to them using my call box, um, them calling me because I started, you know, I was baffled by the whole, this is how I connected. This is when I connected UFO, my UFO sighting with the popcorn man. So I was trying to explain to my boyfriend who had just moved. He had, it was literally, he had just moved in with me um, and he had moved from Hawaii. So and he had no idea about my interests and he didn't share it. Um, he wasn't opposed to it, but it was, wasn't interesting to him. Um, 
So I, I was talking to him about it. You know, I was, I was freaked out about it in the morning. I was, I was like, there's this weird knocking. And I think it came two or three times that morning. And um, I, I checked to see if there were window washers. It was a Saturday. I know it was a Saturday because um, there were no uh, window washers. And, and there, we get notices. There's ways to know. But, but anyway, I, uh, I thought about it. And I thought about knocking. And I thought about um, knocking if you were a, if you were an entity or an intelligence trying to make contact in a kind and respectful manner, and you knew something about how we introduce ourselves, well, what do we do if we're at someone's door, we knock. That's, that's how you introduce yourself. So I was like, well, gosh, um, you know, it was just knocking and maybe they were just introducing themselves. And I, and, and I said immediately, I said, but you do not knock on someone's window. I was like, I was like you would, you would, uh, you would knock on the front door. And I said, well, in our case, you would call through the call box. Well, it was like the next night or a few days later, that's exactly what they did at 4.45 in the morning. Again, um, the phone started ringing. And at that time I had a landline. And, and so in the call box had uh, my cell number and it had my uh, landline number. And um, they were calling only one of them. I can't remember which one it was. It was, it was like my name with my last initial or uh, my last name with, it was like yonder J or yonder J-A. And, um, and so I, I thought when the phone rang at that hour, it's very strange. You know, it's dark outside. Your phone is ringing. It's very jarring. And you can see on the caller ID, um, and I thought, and the number looked familiar, but I didn't recognize it as the front door. Um, I knew it was a Chicago number, but I, I just didn't want to answer the phone. So I thought, well, if it's, if it's important, they'll leave a message. They did not leave a message. So I ignored it. 15 minutes later, they call again. So anyway, I did go down. I played with the call box. While I was playing with the call box that later that morning, I bumped into several neighbors and I asked them if their call box had called them. And they said, no, because, you know, it could be a drunk person just calling every single number in the, in the call box. That doesn't really happen, but I thought maybe that, that was an explanation. No one else had it. And then the other strange thing was if someone was down at my door and they were trying to get a hold of me, they would call both numbers or I would call both numbers because one's yonder J and one's yonder JA. Why not try both if, if he's not answering on one? And why not leave a message? Um, but that was when I realized, you know, at that point I remember, and then I said, I think, I think they're trying to make contact. Um, and I said, you know what, I, I thought about it. What would be a comfort, it might at that level, now I'm very comfortable with it, it's fine. But at that point I thought, you know, what, what would I be comfortable with? And what I said was, you know, if way off in the distance, I saw a light and it slowly came towards me, then, I think I would have the element of surprise would be taken away and um, I could kind of prepare myself as opposed to like, I had this fear that a being, I was going to take out the trash one night and a being was going to just pop into existence. And I, and I remember before taking out the trash, I would literally mentally say, please do not do this. Like do not <laughs> pop into existence. I, like I'll lose my, I'll, I'll, I'll lose it. And um Anyway, so you can guess that the light happened. And, and a few days later, 
um, maybe weeks, I don't know. I reported it to MUFON. But what was cool is that light, um, I, was, I was looking up um, dental insurance on my computer and um, I've lived in the same unit since 2004. And um, I know the view of Chicago and I, I look east over Chicago and, um, you know, so planes fly all kinds of crap. And, uh, but there was this bizarre bright light, very, very bright hovering on top of a building. And, um, and I, you know, I just was like, well, that's weird. It caught my eye. And I actually called my boyfriend over to the window to, to look. And I thought I was gonna have to, you know, give coordinates of where to look. No, he immediately knew the light because it is, uh, it was unusual. And, um, and it just kind of moved over the edge of the building and it made a, like a 45 degree down and then it just blipped out of existence. And right before it blipped out, it turned, there was a red light, a smaller red light. So it was a big white light. And then there was a little red light and then it was gone. And when I saw the red light, I thought, oh, it's a helicopter. But then the whole thing was gone. So um, anyway, it was strange enough that I reported it to MUFON at the time. Anyway, so that, as I went through all that and the whole idea of peaceful contact and then, you know, knocking at the door, using my call box, I just started to try to get into their mind, you know, how would I approach someone in a respectful, non-frightening way. I mean, everything was frightening. And um, even though it, it shouldn't be, um, but it was the unknown. And, um, and that was when I realized, I started to think back about that popcorn man that visited me. And everything he did um, was to, um, you know, his whole ridiculous persona with, the, he was on this bicycle with this enormous umbrella and this three-piece suit. And he had a giant thing of popcorn in front of his body. So the closest thing between me and him was this giant thing of popcorn. You know, that, that's not very frightening. Um, and he was on a bicycle um, in mid-pedal, <laughs> just hovering there. Um, and, uh, so, and so it was very obvious that if he tried to move, he would have this very ridiculous, he had a huge front tire, the bicycle, those old timey kind. So, you know, if he tried to come at me, he, he had this large bicycle with a, a huge umbrella over it that would obstruct his path, you know, make it difficult to navigate the room. Um, and I think that was to kind of make him not frightening to me. Um, and I liked popcorn very much. Um, and I, I looked at my old pictures, you know, for the movie, they asked us to show, send in pictures of us at that age. And I saw that I'd had birthday parties at a place called Farrell's Ice Cream. And the, the outfit for the waiters uh, was a, the stripes and, and, um, and, and straw hats. And I loved it. You know, I loved Farrell's Ice Cream. It was exciting. So I think they, were, they took on a shape that I would find um, that I loved, that, that was uh, happy for me. You know, of course, there was out in that context, it's very different. But I think they were doing everything they could to allow me to remember the experience and be at peace with the experience. You know, I, I think that's that's what I would take away from all of that. So anyway, that was a long, a long one. So sorry. Oh no, you're fine. So do you think that was like a like a cover memory kind of thing or gosh, you know, I 
I really, I, it could be because, you know, really good cover memory. Um, you know, what would be the difference between a cover memory and them? You know, I think it's almost like, uh, what's the word? It, it's just vocabulary because them making me think that, or, or them taking that form versus giving me a cover memory or my body, or, or perhaps I guess the difference would be, did they do it or did my body do it, you know? Um, or did they help my body do it, you know? But whatever it was, it was a pleasant, it was a pleasant one. Like, you know, John Yost had Alterman. Yeah. I think that, I don't know what his name is. Alterman, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly because I never followed Alterman as a child. But, um, but I don't know if he had a, a pleasant relationship with Alterman. I think he did, I, I don't know. But um, what was I gonna say about that? Um, I don't know, I felt like it was benevolent. What, what I can say also is that I revisited that experience. So when I started going down the rabbit hole of contact and all that, I'd, I'd followed Dr. Greer was one of the first people I started following. And um, he had talked about, you know, these different meditations you can do um, to make contact and invite them and stuff like that. And I was doing that and it, and it works. Um, uh, and there was a point where I, I joined a CE5 group. I'd read this book called Paths to Contact by, um, oh my God, um, Jeff Becker, um, and who is, is like has a military background, um, was an engineer on nuclear submarines and um, also did CE5 with Dr. Greer. And um, he put this book together, which is phenomenal. And I, I bought it thinking I was buying a Clifford Stone book, but because Clifford Stone was promoting it and I really liked Clifford Stone's story, it resonated with me. And um, so I got Paths to Contact, which each chapter is a different person representing a different walk of life, like, you know, um, blue collar person, um, medical doctor, uh, you know, engineer in the military, you know, whatever. Um, and it's just their experience with what's called high strangeness. And um, anyway, in that, in that, in that book, I, I, that's how I met Jeffrey Becker, who hosts CE5s. And um, I wrote to him because I had some questions about the book. And then he invited me to his CE5 group. And so I started doing that. And this is, a, I'm giving every single detail on that. But anyway, long story short, I, I had done a regression um, where I revisited the Popcorn Man experience. And um, so I was able to relive it. And um, so, so to, to going to your question of was it a screen memory or was it some kind of a, a you know, or, or was that it? What I can say is that in the regression, which was absolutely amazing, where I literally relived it, and not only, and this wasn't in the movie, um, I relived it and then it kept going, it went further. And um, what happened is before when he made eye contact with me, that was when my memory blanked out. But when I relived it, um, he made eye contact with me and then I floated towards him. And when I say I, visually, 
I had the perception of floating towards him, but I don't know what I was. Like, all I know was that I could see, you know, if I was a camera and they floated me up toward him, that was what it was. When I got to him, he was no longer, he had transitioned from being the popcorn man to just white light. He was just white light. And I was aware that I was also just white light. Um, and I, I don't really know how to explain that other than that, um, but it made sense. And we merged. And when we merged, I then felt this um, incredible love uh, for, I don't know, well, the very first time, so I did this twice. So I merged with him and I got a download and it was, we are one, and, but no explanation of what that meant. Like, does that mean that he's me in another timeline, in another life, or just kind of a general broad, everyone is one? I don't know. And at that point, I popped out of the regression. And I think that was like a protection from my own self-conscious or, or whatever, um, just to see that was kind of a lot of information. How are you doing? How are you processing it? So I popped out. And I was excited about it. I, I went to the bathroom. I went back and, and, and regressed and did it again. And this time I, I merged with him, got We Are One. And then what was crazy is I suddenly, the experience, the visual went back in time and I relived the whole experience from his perspective. So I was back in my room. I was in the bed asleep. And I was now the popcorn man. I was sitting where the popcorn man was looking back at myself in the bed asleep. Then I see myself wake up and get up and I saw my face, you know, it's like a little me, you know, it's like seven-year-old yawn. And um, I know what sweater I was wearing. Um, I know, you know, and I, I saw myself, I saw my jaw drop. I was sitting up in bed, staring at, the, at me. <laughs> and um, I just was doing that. And when I saw that, you know, it was really cool, a very cool experience to relive. Um, then I felt this unbelievable love for me. And that I assume was the popcorn man looking at me. And I just knew that the love that the popcorn man felt for me. And it was, it was so intense that I remember in the regression, tears were pouring out of my eyes and they were filling up my ears because I was laying on my back. And um, I just blissed out and that was it. Um, and it changed the way I looked at the experience. You know, I, I, I realized it was a very loving experience. You know, I mean, I guess you could say maybe that was a screen memory. You know, you can second guess anything. But what I can tell you is I, I don't think anything bad has happened to me. You know, I haven't had any bad experiences. So anyway, another long one. But but yeah, that, that was that. Oh, you're fine. Take as long as you need. Um, so. I don't think that people have negative experiences. I think it's more or less perceived that way. Um, as far as, you know, why it happens, I couldn't tell you. I, I've never been that guy to claim to have all the answers. But right. from what your story, from what you're telling me, and this is just my takeaway from it, it sounds like maybe whatever the popcorn man was, showed you the experience from its perspective for it for lack of a better term 
and let you relive it from that perspective as well. The reasoning why I couldn't tell you, but you know, it's quite fascinating. Well, he did, he did, there was the message, we are one. So I don't know what that means, but you know, my, so just my digging down the rabbit hole, you know, Grant Cameron is someone that I, I really respect the work, the contributions he's done in the field. And, and he talks about the idea that we're all consciousness, you know, deep down, like we're these little maybe sparks of light. Um, and, and there's the, a bit, the possibility that we're all, you know, Dr. Greer talks about this too, that we're all a sea of consciousness and we're all just little drops. We're just little fractals of the same consciousness. And in this frequency existence, um, we're in a frequency where we forget, we agree to forget what we really are so that we have this illusion of individuality and can experience a, a, a broader range that's possible that you wouldn't have if you were everything. Um, if you were everything, there would be no concept of self, there would be no individuality and all of those experiences couldn't be uh, experienced. So, you know, it, it gets quite, you know, I think the whole contact thing, it starts to open up a lot of spiritual questions. Um, I, I was not raised in a religious, uh, religion did not speak to me. Um, and uh, so that wasn't really a, a barrier for me for contact. In fact, I don't know, I, I contact it while there was a period where I didn't know what was going on and I was afraid a being might just appear in front of me. Um, and there's plenty of scary uh, visitation stories online. Um, I, was, I was actually very excited by the idea that there is something more to our existence. Um, there are, you know, we're not alone in the universe and all that. I, th I found that very comforting. Um, and yeah, so I don't know, I, I think, contact, we're learning more about ourselves. I think John Yost says that, that, you know, you end up looking, you know, you, you're looking for contact um, out there or up. And ultimately the journey is going to take you inside into what we really are and what they really are. And, you know, I, I think in a way we are them in the, in this sort of greater sense of, we're more than, we're not just this reality. I think we're a lot more. There's many kind of an infinite reality. We're tuned into this one at this time. You know, I don't know. I, have, I don't have the answers, but uh, something, something along those lines. I think that we are more connected than we realize. And I think it's a fun, it's kind of cool. It's a cool thing. Um, I agree with that. Um, and, you know, you being frightened of, you know, an entity appearing out of nowhere. I think that's what trips most people up. Yeah. And I think that's part of what people go the negative route with is they like, look at Whitley Strieber, for instance. Um, he had an entity pop around his doorway. You know, it's kind of frightening. Sure. So I, I get your perspective on, you know, not wanting that to happen. And Again, I think that's why a lot of people take it the negative way is because something like that does happen and, you know, it just kind of startles them a little bit. I agree. I agree. Did you, I was curious, you, you know, what made you, what brought your interest into all of this? How well, what brought me into all of this, it, it's kind of a hard thing to explain because originally 
like I've always been interested in weird stuff. When I was younger, I saw a couple documentaries and things like that. I wouldn't even call them documentaries. They were just TV shows and usually playing in the background while I was doing something. I started out more interested in like cryptozoology. You know, it's just something that nobody else was really getting too much into. And best way to explain it is I remember this show titled Unexplained Mysteries, right? Mm-hmm. And they had an alien abduction episode on and one part just stuck out to me. And that was Debbie Cobble or Debbie Jordan, if you were familiar with her from Bud Hopkins' book, Intruders. Okay. They played a five-second piece of her regression tape on there, of her claiming they were taking a baby from her and her just sobbing and saying, no, it's mine, you know, just an emotional response. And for whatever reason, that has stuck with me all of my life. Mm-hmm. In about 2008, I don't know, it just hit me out of nowhere. I think it was like, you know, Ancient Aliens was on. I was like, oh, this is interesting. I started watching it and then, man, like a ton of bricks. It just hit me. And all of a sudden, I just started doing a ton of UFO research. And then you move past the UFO research because you find validation in it. And you go, okay, what's behind the UFOs then? Which has led me on the contactee slash alien abduction phenomena where you know now i've been going on that for quite a while now yeah so that's how i got started it's a long-winded explanation but i mean yeah that's interesting i i wonder um i i can relate you know unexplained mysteries unsolved mysteries all that i was watching that as a child too there was even a, a book a series of books i think for the unsolved mysteries, um, I thought it was very interesting, um, and and that 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 kind of that digging, yeah. There's that bizarre um, desire to find out more information. That's like that just came over me, you know, after the knocking and all that. I guess you just realize that there really is more, and you're looking for answers, you know. Um, but after the movie came out. It was really interesting after I'd done my interview, I think it was, yeah, it was after the interview for the movie. Um, it was like a weekend, we did that. Um, there was a sense of calm that came over me. Um, I, I think there was a part inside of me ever since I was a child, ever since I saw that Condon report, ever since, you know, you wanna share and you want people to know what you've seen. And um, finally, I think John Yost doing that it, I felt heard. There was a part of me that was like, okay, you've been heard. And it like, it was such a relief. And um, it just kind of, I don't know, it, it, I am, I'm very much at peace with all of it. And um, I used to do CE5s like every month um, since 2015, when I started doing the, like actually going to a group, it was the summer of 2015. Um, and, uh, Anyway, and now I, I still do it. Um, I'm about to go to one right now. And, um, um, but it's not, it's not as, um, I don't know, it's not as, it's not as much, <clears throat> I've moved on. I kind of feel like <clears throat> the, the message, I've, I've maintained contact and I, I still have experiences, but I'm not as focused on it. I mean, the, the last contact experience earlier this year, I was in Joshua Tree. 
and I there it, we had a just an amazing CE five. We called it the group called it HICE Human Initiated Consciousness Experience, I think. And um, anyway, there was a series of lights, and basically, I we did a three day contact thing, and and long story short, I did a report on it, um, but. I was led to believe that these lights, these green lights um, that we were seeing um, basically had let me know that where they were on the horizon, which looked like a, a Joshua tree down this, straight down this path, I just had to walk about a mile and I would, I would meet them. And I was very excited, um, I, but, but basically I went and, and what it was, is interesting. There was a, the ground was actually doing a little bit of a valley so where I was, what I was seeing, they were actually above a, a giant rock mound, these, these lights, um, which I figured out in the day. But when I walked, I was going down in the middle of the valley, there's a Joshua tree. And so the Joshua tree and the mound, the rock mound, as you're doing the path, they kind of merge. So in the night when it's dark, I got to the Joshua tree and I walked past it. You know, there's nothing at the Joshua tree. And I walk past the Joshua tree and there's, there's nothing on the horizon because I'm now in the valley looking up. So I don't see the rock mound anymore. So I, you know, logically based on the distortion of the, the ground, um, thought that, that I was there and I was kind of upset because I was like, why are, there's no one here. It's just a Joshua tree. And so, but mentally they started communicating with me and they're like, we're here. Um, you can't see us, we're here just communicate with the Joshua tree, pretend the Joshua tree is us. And you know, what, what's your question? What, what, what do you want to know? And I was kind of stunned because really what, what, it, what, it, what, what they showed me was that 99.9% .9 of my excitement was the visual, just seeing them. I wanted to prove to myself that in a, a very conscious awake state, I could see them and not get scared and, and, and have the conversation. And because um, there's so much contact, um, but the contact is, it's not, it's not as, as, as much about like, it, you know, it's not like going and having tea with someone. And, um, and, and so I really was, was looking forward to seeing like humanoid type beings or something, you know, and looking at them. But when they said, you know, ask us, ask us your question, you know, all the questions seem stupid. All of a sudden, everything seems stupid. And um, like, I could say, how did you get here? Where are you from? But like, what's that gonna tell me? You know, I, I felt like that was stupid. So I, I didn't wanna ask that. I finally thought, I, th I said, my first question was, who am I? And they said, you're an infinite being, an infinite soul, something like that. Um, and I was like, well, I, I kind of already knew that. You know, like we're souls that, that live on like this one incarnation. And, um, and so then I thought for a second, I thought, oh, is there any like catastrophic event that I should know about um, that, that might happen in the future uh, in my lifetime? And then I thought, whoa, 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 don't answer that. I actually don't want to know the answer to that. And then I just sat there. And then, so then they asked me a question and they said, why are you here? Why are you doing this? And I was like, whoa. I hadn't thought of that. And, and then I realized, that was when I realized, oh my God, I, I was, it's like really superficial. I really actually kind of just wanted to see what you looked like, you know? And I realized that's why they weren't like that. Like, well, one, it might've, you know, scared the, scared me 
Um, but it also would have deflected the conversation. You know, it would have been based on a very superficial what they look like. And I realized that, and they said, they were like, they were like, you know, you have a question, ask us. I, I still don't have a question. That was like this spring. Um, but I've realized, you know, I could be in my bedroom. I can be anywhere and mentally connect with them and ask them the question, but I still don't really have the question. I'm seeing something that says we have less than a minute left. Is that, should I be concerned about that? No, I think you're fine. I'm not oh, okay. sure what that means, but we're, we're okay. good. Okay. But anyway, but, but it just, it gave me a kind of a sense of, it just made me really kind of step back. And, and the, the, the thing that I think the message I also got from it is this earth experience is the most important. And if, it, whatever brings you joy, like that is like Whitley Strieber, his talk that he gave at Rice University earlier this year in their, uh, I forget what it's called. They have this great lecture series. Um, and I, I went, that's where I did my master of architecture is Rice. So it's kind of this interesting connection. But um, since he's doing this series, you know, their, Rice University is archiving his fan letters, um, which is like, I think over, I, I don't know, it's a lot, like 100, over 100,000. And, and in this lecture, he read one fan. So right here, our audio messed up a little bit, and that is my fault. But let us continue. You were talking about Whitley Strieber's lectures. Whitley Strieber, yeah. And he had the, he's this, it's this conference of the, oh, I'm so mad at myself for blanking on it. But anyway, the, the con it was like a conference of the impossible or something. And um, I'm just, I'm so proud of Rice University for doing this and for taking on this topic because they're, a, they're an institution with, um, you know, a reputation, a good reputation. Um, they're a, a, a great academic thing. And, and for an academic institution to take it on, I just would like to just tell them that I'm so proud of them and I really, really appreciate it. And, um, but Whitley talks about, he takes of his hundreds of thousands of fan letters, which are basically experiencer letters, he picks one and he shares it is his lecture and then he dissects it. And it's amazing, it's absolutely phenomenal. And the point of it all is that joy, the experience of joy is one of the most precious experiences that we have as a gift in this earth experience. And when you, when you think about it, like what are the fact, what's the recipe for joy? You know, it, it's kind of interesting. Um, and what I've kind of taken from all of this is, you know, I, I kind of went from a shift of, I want people to know the truth. I want them to know what, to realizing that the biggest gift that I have is the things that give me joy, bring me joy. And so that's what I do. Um, now I just, I do what brings me joy. And that is mostly gardening and landscape design. And, um, and I just do it and it is just, it's awesome. I love it. And I lose myself in it. I, I know that I'm in joy because I have lose complete track of time. Um, and there's not enough time. Um, but, you know, so, so like, I don't, I'm not as dedicated to this topic, which I care very much about, but, and, and I love, you know, I, I think we're in very exciting times. Um, Christopher Mellon, 
is, is a new big like hero of mine. I, I followed him a little bit, but I, I've seen more recently, I, I saw an interview where he had mentioned that he was the one that had leaked the uh, Tic Tac, mm -hmm. Tic Tac video from the Pentagon. And, um, and I realized he's very much, from what I get, um, a champion of disclosure, of getting it out. And disclosure's already happened for those that you know, want to look, but for the general public, it really hasn't happened. And um, I mean, the Tic Tac video is disclosure, you know? Um, the Pentagon has admitted it. I mean, it's just not made the headline, like anyway. But so, and I'm very excited. I saw uh, James Fox's The Phenomenon in 2020. Awesome movie, very good. I love his work. And I'm very much looking forward to his, um, The Moment of Contact that's coming out next month, I think. Um, so I think we're in exciting times. I understand recently there was a little bit of a setback. The Navy is not going to release any more UAP videos um, claiming national security, but I'm hoping that this whistleblower um, law that protects whistleblowers is going to allow, um, allow more whistleblowers to come forward and, and change things, you know? And, I, and so I think that that's exciting, but anyway. It is exciting. And, you know, I think we're moving forward, like you're saying. Um, yeah, there's just no telling where we're going to go from here. Yeah. So with people who are struggling with the contact experience, what, what advice would you give them? Oh, gosh. Um, well, one, one, I would say, you know, don't feel bad. Um, I think it's, it's very natural. It's, it's a phase that we all go through. Um, I went through it for sure. And, um, but I would tell, I would say, God, there's so many incredible books. R.D. Six Killer Clark is this um, indigenous woman, a PhD woman that um, she does all these experiences. She writes about experiences of indigenous people. Um, in uh, North America, in on the reservation, off the reservation, in Guatemala, and all these years. Anyway, it's like I the, I don't think anything bad has happened. The, the the bad stuff. I mean, you know, thank goodness nothing's bad's happened to me. But I mean, just step back and think. So, imagine hypothetically, there's a there are groups of intelligent beings that are from Earth and from other places that cohabitate Earth with us. All of this has been going on. Nothing is new. The only thing new is, is your awareness of it. It's been here longer than us. And we're still here. Um, we don't need weapons to fight them. <laughs> um, if they wanted something from us, they, they could do it. You know, it, you know, I think really what we're learning is we're in a bigger community. And what I really think the lesson is, is for us to be a part of that community, we have to grow spiritually so that we can handle um, the bigger toys, the bigger information, the bigger reality of what we are and what we can do. Um, and we already have toys bigger than what we can, uh, by toys, I mean like nuclear weapons technology. And, and there's other technology, I, I believe, that we could have. But all of the stuff that could be used for good could also be used for bad if you're not mature spiritually. And so I think... This whole process, you know, I don't know, I would say keep digging, you know, I'm happy to talk to people. Um, 
if they're scared or whatever. I think ayahuasca is something I would recommend. I fully endorse. I think it's a wonderful thing if you're, um, if you have questions or depression or substance abuse. Um, I think ayahuasca is, is a great plant medicine that, that helps people understand things and get through things. Um, I don't know. I, I would just say that there's really nothing, there's nothing to fear. I, I've, I've watched experiencers now. Um, I'm trying to think if it was your, the podcast that, that you had, it was something I listened to very recently and there was a woman, no, somebody else sent me something. And um, so I was traveling and I was listening to everything that people had sent me. And um, there was one where this woman had a near death experience. She was a nurse and she described her experience, you know, when she crossed over and um, she was in this black space where she couldn't see anything and she'd been separated from people. But what she said, that was different than other near-death experiencers is she understood that the space she was in was a space she had created. It was showing her the life that she was living on earth. She had for some reason, social anxiety or something, and she would keep herself separate from people. And in her experience, she was experiencing that even more and where she was drawn away from people and they were, it helped her to overcome that. And that's what that experience broke her through. So now she shares her near-death experience and she's going out and sharing. Um, but it was, it was helping her. A lot of what we're experiencing is stuff that's like, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's your own creation. So if you're experiencing fear, it's, it's your own fear. Um, it's stuff that you have to kind of work through on your own. Um, uh, and I know that, that sounds, I feel so mean, like, for people that are genuinely terrified, you know, I feel for you, but it's probably something in your own life. Um, and, you know, I'm not a therapist. So, so I give myself the free card there. I don't have to have all the answers. Um, that, I think that's another thing people have had, um, like with ayahuasca people, there's this one woman, she describes, there's a, there's a great documentary on ayahuasca. I forget what, what it's called, but I just sent it to someone anyway. And she's like, She's like, oh, I went through and I was told I was God. And she's like, no, this is crazy. I'm not God. And so for a little bit, she lived, she experienced being God. And then they were like, you're not God. You know, stop living like you are God, meaning you take on all the pain of the world. Everything is your responsibility. You're the mother hen for everyone. You don't have to be that. That's not your responsibility. And they're like, so stop being that. But it was like, it was very healing for her. She needed to, to learn that. So anyway. I think, I think that fear, it's, it's really everything about the contact experience is a mirror into yourself and your soul. And, and you start to learn more about yourself. That's great advice, actually. Yeah. Um, because I've been told some pretty horrific stories, even just personally. And, you know, I've never really had a way to give them an out. You know, uh, I, I've never experienced anything, so I can't go up to somebody and be like, hey, you know, you're just perceiving it this way. Right. My whole goal is to try to help people who have had the contact experience and take it more of a negative way. Because there's people that have, you find that people who've had negative experiences over time, eventually they don't consider them negative. They look at it a different perspective. Uh, Debbie Cobble, again, bringing her up. She's a great example of that. It was very traumatic for her at first. Mm -hmm. 
uh, we brought up the baby thing. But over time, she's kind of gotten used to it. And it's not as traumatic. Right. Right. And yeah, that's, I've just been trying to figure out how to give people the best advice I possibly can about that. Because, yeah, it doesn't seem to be, you know, they're not bringing you on board a UFO and just kicking the crap out of you. They're, you know, there's something else to it. No, I, I think they're doing everything. They, I mean, I, I go on these CE5s wanting more contact, um, wanting, um, you know, wanting to prove to myself because, um, you know, I'll have contact. They'll, they'll visit me, but, you know, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I hear they'll play music for me. Um, very different music. But then, um, you know, I can't see that. Like uh, starting in 2020, I think I woke up, I was having a dream and there was jazz playing in the dream. And then I woke up and the jazz was still playing. And I thought, oh, somebody's phone is playing music and that must have incorporated into my dream. And then I realized there was no, <laughs> there was no phone playing. And then I, there's a feeling you can get when they're visiting you. And um, I could kind of feel the energy and I realized, oh, they're here. And, um, and I kind of, there was, a, there was a fear that came over, you know, it's, it's a dark room and there's music playing, this soft jazz music is playing. And I'm like, whoa. And so I immediately thought, I thought, oh, welcome. Um, could, you, could you show up as like a, a light ball, you know? Um, and, and really what I was doing is I was protecting myself because I had no idea if I started to focus around the bed in the room, was I gonna see something that might frighten me? And I thought, you know, if I saw a ball of light that that would be something that wouldn't frighten me. But I got very quickly a download that said, no, that's not what this is about. And I, I understood this isn't about a visual. This is about listening to this music that we're sharing with you. So I was like, oh, so I just laid back and listened to the music. And it would be like, I would notice the music is only in my left ear. You know, it, it's, it's not in my right ear. So it's like you start to have clues that your experience is not a 3D earth experience. This is something else. And, and that, so they would come periodically with different music, you know, but there was no, there's nothing else there. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, what is this about? But, but one time we had done um, the CE5 event and there was a woman um, of the Sami clan. It's like some Arctic indigenous people from like Alaska or something like that. Anyway, and she had said, she has contact and she had said, um, she sent out a, a message and she's like, oh, my, my people are going to visit, visit you tonight. Um, and it's between like three and 4 a.m. They're going to come and visit you. And I was like, whoa. I was like, okay. So like I smudged my, uh, my place and um, I was ready. And sure enough, at 3.29 a.m., I woke up. And I remember I woke up and I had, I needed to pee like quite badly. And, um, but I could feel it. There was an energy and, and, and they were there. There was, there was a presence. And so I was like, oh, and then I heard music. And I was like, ooh. So I, I just was like, okay, I'm gonna hold the pee and I'm gonna listen to the music. And I'm listening and I'm like, oh my God. So at the CE5 event, this woman would start the ceremony. She had just like toward the later nights, she started doing this drum ceremony, which she said, the drum ceremony, she would start off the event with the circle 
with this beautiful drumming. And uh, she said, this is like a prayer. So, you know, when the drumming is going on, you don't speak, you don't talk, you, know, you don't interrupt the prayer. But anyway, it was a very um, distinct drumming. And that was the music that was playing. It was the drumming. And I was like, oh my God, you know, now is the first time I can actually connect the music with something in my life. And it was, it's her drumming. And so it really is her, it's her people. And, um, and what was bizarre is while I was laying there, the sensation to pee, like it was intense. I needed to do it. It disappeared, you know, and it, it just wasn't there anymore. They had somehow numbed that so that it wasn't distracting me. And I, I mean, there's something to that. I don't know, maybe I'd left my body. I, I don't know what, but I, you know, I, I seem to still be in the same position, but anyway, there was that experience. And then when the experience ended, there were some visuals that were quite cool. But when the experience, it's 11 when the experience ended, um, I needed to pee again. So I knew it was over. And, um, but that, it was just the craziest thing. And I was like, how did they do that? Um, but they did it. And uh, anyway, so there's, there's all kinds of bizarre contact. I can't remember how I got onto that, but it was, it was just the point that contact isn't, it's so different then people think, you know, people are like, oh, why didn't you ask this? Why didn't you ask that? And I'm like, it's, it's, just, it's just not like that. And it, it's such a precious thing. And it's like, um, when you're in the, like, I didn't get up to go pee because I felt that if I did get up to go pee, it could end the entire experience by moving, by, by shifting my position in the bed, it can change the energy and it just, it's all gone. So it's kind of like, I kind of stay in the same position. You, you have to, it's a very delicate thing. It's not like forced on you. It's not, not my, not been my experience. It's something where you, you have to kind of keep a relaxed state. If you get too excited when contact is happening, that can pop you out of it. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I, I just say for people that are really scared, like, I don't know, do talk to people. And, and, and try to think, what is it that you're really scared of? And also what I would say actually is mentally communicate your fear to the beings. Like, just be like, think of the, whatever's scaring you and say, look, this scares me. Could you do it differently? Could you show up as a ball of light? Could you just be music? Could you just be, you know, some kind of telepathic communication or something, but just give some feedback. And then I, I, would, I would guess that it would respond. I guess my last question before I let you go, um, what do you, what do you think is behind it? Do you think it's more extraterrestrial, interdimensional, or just up in the air kind of thing? We don't know. Well, I, you know, I, I don't know either. Um, but I think it's a great question. And I, I think it's a combination. I think of what, what we think of our vocabulary, I think has to expand. And I think what we think of as angels, what we think of as extraterrestrial, I think there's a, there's a common, there's some, something connecting them. They may not be as different as, as, as we think. Um, I think it's, it's more about the re nature of reality, what, what, what we're really living in and that we're not alone. Um, we live in a much more interesting um, like multiverse or whatever, you know, there's a lot of other intelligent intelligence out there consciousness out there and expressed in so many other ways and we're just starting to awaken to to those um and i think it's just part of our 
kind of experience our evolution of of uh, of reality of you know I mean a long time ago we thought the earth was the center of the universe you know we thought the earth was flat I mean there, there's been so many different things that we've had to kind of learn and um, I think this is where it's kind of cool you know it, we're in that part you know that where a lot of us don't know uh, that there's there's other stuff you know there's other beings out there so I think it's um. I think it's just it's just us kind of maturing a little little a little bit, and um, and and us as us waking up. Another thing I was going to say, you know, you said something about like that you haven't had any experiences. I I bet you have had experiences. Um, I I will say that I've had an experience, a group experience, in which I was allowed to remember more than other people in the group, and. Um, and it was really bizarre because I know these people. And um, what was explained to me by the beings was that the other people in the group weren't, their mind wasn't in a place where they could um, process the experience. So while, we, while I was able to remember more, I, I wasn't able to remember everything, but they were able to remember less. And it was so bizarre. It was just such a, it was just bizarre. But, but, I, but then I started to realize, oh my goodness, we could have many, many more experiences than we realize. We just, our mind isn't in a state of comprehension. It's not able to incorporate it back so that you can go on continuing. to. It would be disruptive to your kind of earth experience. Um, and so, so some people will, their memory will be cl cleared. Uh, they won't remember that part that that's too difficult to go in uh, to to comprehend. So so it's kind of like so I, I think the point the moral of that is that if you could get to a point and I don't know exactly how you do this except maybe by being doing research and asking questions and, and familiarizing yourself. But if you could get to a point where you're comfortable with with it all, then you might remember more, you know? And, and I don't mean that as a judgment, um, but I don't know, I don't know. It's just, it's something that I experienced and, um, and it made me realize it's like, I, can, I mean, I can't show you how many nights we go out and it's like, oh man, you know, why won't a ship land? And why won't, you know, why won't we get to see the beings? And, and what I don't realize is that it's quite possible that it did happen and we just have no idea. It just was a seamless, event that happened and we don't remember it but it did you know but what's the point you know what's the point of seeing them anyway if you know i'm not sure you know i like 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 i told you i had that experience where they said you know what's your question and i i still don't i still don't really have a question i i should i should it's kind of it's honestly a little embarrassing um but i don't know i don't know what the question should be because i feel like there's a part of me that, I don't know, that feels like, it's like I could ask for technology to help the planet for sure. You know, I'd love to do that. Like, how could I help the planet? And I think that's where my questions would be, you know, um, with pollution and, and the way that we maintain it. But, you know, I don't know, maybe we're not, we're not ready for that technology because it could be weaponized. Um, maybe the question should be, how could we grow spiritually? You know, 
uh, so that we could have that. You know, what, what could we do? I don't know. There's, I kind of have this sense that everything is just kind of right. It's just kind of, it's all, it's like, do you really want to have the answer to everything? I actually don't think you do. Um, I think that would be really boring. Um, I, I don't know. So I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I just, right now I'm, I'm at, and I'm happy with what brings me joy. Now, being able to help the planet would bring me great joy. That, that's what I like to do through gardening. And, and uh, so, so maybe, I don't know. I don't know. And do you find that a lot with people who've experienced contact? Um, a very humanitarian outlook is how I like to put it. But even the aerial school case, most of those kids were told, you know, stop destroying the planet kind of thing like that, you know, take care of things. So I think you're right on point with that. Now, as far as whether I've had experiences or not, it doesn't really run in my family, but I've had a lot of, I've, I've got a whole episode on my podcast about it. A lot of weird dreams, but I don't know. I, I always write my own stuff off. I'm very familiar with the subject. So I feel like that maybe I just put that in my own head kind of thing. So I, I don't know. I'm a little too analytical about my stuff. Everybody else I'm very open to, but. Mm -hmm. Well, and so there, that, that actually might be getting at something. So um, you are not allowing the experience to happen to you. And it, it might be a kind of a protective thing, you know, um, that, for you, maybe there's that distance. It's just the, the way that you described your sudden um, appetite for researching this material is a very common among people that I, I always ask people, you know, why are you interested? Because what I find so fascinating about people is the way people react to this topic. It's so polarizing. And so you have extremely intelligent people like, um, is it Gary Nolan of Stanford Research Institute? You know, thank God for people like him who um, are recognized in Western science as being, uh, you know, he's up for a Nobel Prize right now um, for his work in immunology, I think. And, um, but, you know, so we've got people like him in our camp and then we have the people that people like to make fun of, you know, and, um, but, you know, I challenge people at this point, you know, it's like, if you're going to make fun of this topic, it's like, who is, who looks like an idiot now? But, um, but, but it's interesting. I, I guess it's the fear. It's how people react to this topic. You know, I watch, I read every review of John Yost's film and some of the ignorant comments that we get, you know, and, and people that nitpick. And I'm like, geez, God, you know, all of us, you know, opened ourselves up to a complete ridicule and can you not <laughs> you know appreciate what we've done um you know and people are like oh you just want um fame or or you just want attention i'm like is this the kind of attention that, that people want you know i mean it's i don't know it, it's just uh people that don't appreciate the the what we're, what we're doing and what we're trying to share and i think um I don't know, whatever, but if people don't want to talk about it. I, my own mom, who's an experiencer herself, she is not watching the film. She always has an excuse to not watch the film. Um, I don't know why, but, uh, and um, so many of my friends, um, 
very few of my friends, like, like I have this group, like I went to small schools. And so we have a group of friends that have been friends forever. And, um, you know, like only a handful have responded about the movie. Most, some of them, yeah, like just ignore it. Like, I'm like, oh, hey guys, you know, please check out this film. You know, just, we're not gonna talk about that. Yeah, it's just, it's just weird. So, so there's that. And then there's people like you who like are dedicating so much time to creating this podcast. And I thank you for doing that. I think that's so important. So it's just, it's just interesting to me. I'd love to know why are some people some way, but you know, we live in a dualistic reality where people, you know, all, all types of interests are out there, but it's just, I, I can't figure out, it fascinates me how some people are like, oh my goodness, this is fascinating. And other people are like, I don't want to talk about it. You know, like, I really, really, I'm not going to, I'm going to pretend you didn't even say that, you know, and I don't understand. I don't understand that. I don't either. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, if people have questions about it, right, rather than sitting there and ridiculing somebody about it, they should get in contact with you and just ask, you know, like your part stood out to me. I even reached out to John Yost. I'm going to have him on eventually too. I watched the documentary on YouTube. I bought it. After I watched it, I immediately bought the DVD because awesome. this is something I got to have, right? Great. Like I said, your part stood out to me and I don't know why, but I had to reach out to you. Now, people who ridicule the whole thing, they obviously haven't done enough research. That's the way I see it. But there's always going to be those people, no matter what, who are just going to say it doesn't exist unless they have an alien body. And even if they had an alien body sitting in front of them, like this little dude here. Nope, that's fake. It's, I don't know what it is, but you can't win everybody over. I'm writing a book and I'm actually putting that in there too. Where I said, like, you can't convince everybody. Right. Um, like your boyfriend, you know, he's not really interested in it. Neither is my wife. Yeah. They just, it's not that they don't believe. It's just some people just clicks that interest and others not so much. I've found it odd that it just clicks with me randomly like it did. But I've never yeah. known what to make of it. That's why it was a little hard for me to explain how I went from like, studying weird cryptozoology stuff straight into ufos just like a ton of bricks snapped i mean i've listened to thousands of hours of podcasts read tons of books i don't really understand it myself so what you're saying does resonate or resonate with me a little bit that's cool yeah it's a fascinating i think again it goes back to like putting that mirror on ourselves you know and people aren't just but i'm I'm fine with it. You know, I've made peace with it. It's not my cross to bear. You know, it's, I have to respect people where they are. Uh, one of my close friends told me that fear was the reason why he doesn't like the topic. And, um, and he also was saying like, how does it affect his life? You know, he's got children and, you know, stuff, other things that are more pressing, seemingly more pressing. And, um, so I, I have to respect that. And, um, and it, it's okay, you know, I don't, I don't, enough people, like, I feel like I've been heard. I, I don't, I don't need to convince anyone anymore. If people don't want to believe me, go ahead, don't believe me, you know. Um, I've also been in my family, it's interesting. Um, I have a lot of cousins um, on my mom's side and there's a lot of more experiencers in the family. 
And it was really cool to, um, to hear them come out and say, oh, you know, uh, I had this experience and I had that experience. I'm like, oh my goodness, you know? And so that's a bonding that, um, that brought a lot of us closer together and, and, and can share that. And it's, I don't know, I think it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating topic and it's hard to understand why it's not fascinating, but I guess the scary, the scary factor, my, you know, my, it was crazy. My dad had had some, he, he's now on board. He's, he's a medical doctor retired, but he, um, he fought me for a long time. And finally I got to the point where we'd had a group experience. Um, and he would still try to tell me that, you know, oh, aliens are real, but they're not coming here. The distance is too great. There's no scientific proof, all this kind of crap. And I'm like, if you want to believe that there's no scientific proof, fine. I, I really don't care. I, I just, I'm not going to spend any time, you know. And, and then finally he, he came around. You know, it was um, Dorothy Isaac's book, um, Contact with Beings, Light Beings, that um, finally, it's not her book. It's a book about her. By, it was written by Peter Cotilla, who did the documentary on her capturing the light. And, you know, she has 30,000 feet, more than 30,000 feet of footage, Super 8 film that she'd been recording on three different cameras. She'd met with uh, Jay Allen Hynek to record her experiences. And she was told, don't associate with other people because you could associate with a bad egg and then that could take down your story, but just build up so much evidence that when you finally do share it, they can't deny it. And that's what she did. It's a, I don't know if you've, you're familiar with her story, but it's a, it's a great one. I am actually. Yeah. I agree with you. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've watched it so many times and it's like, that whole bit about like the one where she's um, she's got the footage and it's like her on her deck looking up and then all of a sudden it's up in the sky looking down at her deck. And, and, and she's like, she was surprised by it. And she's like, and it's like in one, one eighteenth of a frame or something. And she's like, she asked them like, how is this, how did that happen? And they're like, oh, we flashed you up for a split second and, and had you film back down but it was so fast you didn't even know it happened. And it's like, okay, so you can say she's crazy, but then how did she get the footage? Exactly. You know? And, and, uh, and then anyway, it's just, it goes on and on. And I'm just like, that is so cool. Like, it's just so cool. I don't know, it just blows my mind. So I love that stuff. I think that's awesome. Well, I think that if you're gonna write somebody off I don't even think that you're able to really do that. I mean, I've done it a couple times on my podcast where I was, there's one lady who says that she's in love with an extraterrestrial kind of thing. I mean, and I think she's doing it for publicity. It, she walks around to blow up alien on TV and stuff. It's, it's a little ridiculous. Like on that kind of scenario, I'll call somebody out. But for instance, like your story, John Yost, anybody on that documentary, I don't feel it's right for me or anybody else to come up to you and say that your experiences aren't real. I didn't experience that. You did. And there's so many people out there that just write things off when that is one thing you will never see me do yeah. is I'm not going to just walk up to this person and be like, they're flat out a liar. Yeah. Obviously, unless there's some kind of evidence, but that doesn't happen too often. Right. 
Right. Well, it's it's like there's publicity and then there's this kind of publicity and, and, and it's changing. It's changing. But, you know, I mean, I remember I remember the movie like John Yost was like, you know, poor guy. Yeah, he, he worked so hard. And he, the personal I mean, he is he's a really talented guy. He's a really great guy. And um, but he, he worked so hard. And he's had to do so much to get this movie out. And, um, and, and, you know, I, I was really torn because I kind of kept my, uh, not really a big Facebook person anyway. I, I, I have like a weird hang up. I don't like to share on Facebook, but he was asking us to kind of share and promote the movie. And I felt like I have to do my part. And so I started doing it and promoting it. And I remember it was kind of like coming, uh, coming out of the UFO closet, you know? because on Facebook, I would never put this in the, I just would promote the movie, you know? And then you bump into people and they're like, what is this movie about, you know? Um, and it's, yeah, it's kind of bizarre. It's kind of a bizarre thing, but it's like, oh, well. Um, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just like, I don't know. It's not the kind of topic that, uh, I don't know. It, you'd really have to be, desperate for attention to um but it, it's to, to to come out with this kind of stuff you know that i am seeing beings and whatever um and bud hopkins always used to say you know this isn't the kind of attention that people want bud hopkins and john mack would say that because yeah. there's people like those reviewers on your documentary that'll just sit there and badger your ass and if, even if you wrote a book like Again, personally, I'm writing a book on alien abductions and experiences. Cool. The book is not going to sell 50,000 copies. I mean, it's going to be pretty much within the UFO community and be useful to somebody. So, I mean, you're not going to make a ton of money off of a documentary or a movie. No, 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 no. I, <laughs> no, just the opposite. Yeah. Poor John Yost. I mean, I hope it's, I hope it's going well. Um, and I, you know, he wants, he wants to do more. He wants to tell more. And I think I, but you know, he has to, they're expensive to make and uh, he has to get funding and he's, he's working on all that. And I think he's going to do it. Um, but yeah, oh my gosh, so much work. And uh, it is not a, a big old moneymaker. Um, so yeah, it's hard, but, but that's great. I'm wonderful. Please let me know when your book comes out. Congratulations on, on working on it. That's, that's awesome. I, I, I don't know. I'm excited that people are uh, doing this. And I, I think we're going to see a lot more um, disclosure type stuff. I agree. Well, I'm going to cut it right here, Jan. Um, okay. Would you mind staying on with me a few minutes after? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'm getting that time left thing again. So if we cut off, I'll just go back to your link. Okay. Now, with that being said, I'm going to let you guys go. I want to thank Jan again for coming on with me. What a great guy. Please support Alien Abduction Answers by John Yost. John's one of the abductees in there, or contactees. And I gotta say, what an amazing documentary. As I said during the interview, I watched the documentary and immediately went out right afterwards and bought the DVD of it, so I had a hard copy. I want to thank the Ghoulies for Hot Rods from Outer Space. And I want to thank you guys for listening. Without you, this podcast would exist. So until next time, keep kicking it.